I woke up on Saturday morning, I looked at the Google Analytics and saw something like 500 or 600 simultaneous visitors to our website. It just hit a point where it just started growing. You're listening to The Growth Show, a podcast that uncovers interesting stories and advice on growth from every corner of the business world. I'm Kip Bodner, CMO at HubSpot. I'm thrilled to be joined by Vlad Tenev, co-founder of Robinhood, an app that makes it easy for anyone to quickly and easily invest their money. So Vlad, for, for our listeners who may not be familiar with Robinhood, can you give us a quick overview? What's, uh, what's the company all about? What are you guys trying to do? Sure. Robinhood is a mobile app. Uh, we're available on iOS, Android, and Apple Watch. And we allow you to buy and sell stocks, so uh, ownership in public companies, uh, companies listed on the New York Stock Exchange or um, any other U.S. exchange, as well as a whole universe of uh, ETFs, which are exchange-traded funds. And we basically are the modern version the modern incarnation of a stock brokerage uh, with a focus on usability and um, user experience. So we're the first mobile first brokerage, the first financial company that I think can truly make the argument to be product first and design driven, and also the first to offer uh, unlimited commission free trading um, with no account minimums. So if you think about stock brokerages in the past, they're both very expensive uh, with typically a $500 to $2,000 account minimum, which you need to fund before you can do anything. And they typically charge around 7 to $10 for every transaction. Um, and not to mention the fact that their mobile interfaces and even websites really are super clunky and kind of confusing for newcomers to uh, to the investing world. So with Robinhood, we really wanted to build a product that is easy to use and has the same sort of uh, attention to detail and quality and craftsmanship that people expect from uh, products that are built by their favorite tech companies rather than financial companies. Dude, that's awesome. If I'm if I'm somebody listening to your explanation, I'm like, wow, thank God. I, like financial software is really, really painful and really tedious. And I'm excited about that kind of switch in experience. But then I'm probably more inquisitive and more probably skeptical about like, okay, there's no fees thing. Everybody else is charging me fees to do this. How are these these folks doing it without fees? And so can you can you address the model around Robinhood and maybe kind of how you've even started to come up with it. I think a lot of people listening would love to do something that you're doing, which is kind of disrupting an incumbent in a really big and and important industry. So kind of, can you walk us through how we, how you got there? Yeah, of course. So, um, so on, on one hand you have sort of the inspiration for the idea, which is, you know, my co-founder Beju and I, this is, um, our third company in the financial services space. So in our previous company, we were building enterprise software for large financial institutions. So what we discovered there was essentially that 
the entire um, trading industry had become completely automated. So you might have seen, you know, if you've watched movies like Trading Places with uh, Eddie Murphy in the 80s, this whole sort of romantic notion of pit traders, which uh, are a bunch of guys on the floor of the exchanges and they're kind of handing out paper tickets and, you know, actually trading uh, physically. So it turns out that no longer really exists. If you go to the New York Stock Exchange floor today, you'll see like a bunch of computer screens, CNBCs doing their, you know, closing bell broadcast out of there. Um, and people are like going on tours pretty frequently. It's much more, uh, much more ceremonial than practical. Uh, what really happens is most trades actually happen across, across the river in New Jersey in uh in data centers so uh the entire sort of transaction process uh executing a trade clearing it settling it that has by and large been automated so um what that means is once you get the regulatory approvals in place and actually get set up as a broker dealer um the actual costs of running the business and servicing the brokerage have very little to do with the cost of the transaction and more to do with sort of the cost of supporting the customers. So our, our approach to building this service has been, you know, automate as many things as possible, really start from the ground up and build our systems with the most modern technology and solve problems algorithmically, um, where, whereas in many cases in the past, these, these same sorts of challenges would have been solved by just hiring people in a call center, training them, having them, you know, open accounts manually, all that sort of stuff. So um, essentially Robinhood, when you look at it, is much more a technology company than a finance company. We have about 45 people. Um, most of them are engineers and, uh, and working on product. Um, it, your second question was as to the monetization. <clears throat> so we're not at this point reinventing the wheel there. If you look sort of at the 10K filings of the other major brokerages, you see that about 25 to 30% of their revenue comes from, um, comes from commissions and transaction fees. The other 70% is non-commission based revenue. So a lot of revenue streams that you typically think of when you think about banking. So generating money from cash deposits, generating, generating money as well from uh, stocks and inventory, uh, margin lending, which is just a form of, a form of loan, uh, and things like that. So the idea is, um, you know, we're fine curtailing the 30% of revenue that the incumbents make through commissions in exchange for a lower cost structure and fundamentally a much lower cost of acquisition. There's a couple different ways I could go with this, but it seems to me in talking with you, a key to your strategy has to be picking up maybe the more novice investor and also as well as the younger investor, somebody who really places high value on this like super a plus product grade experience, um, but they probably don't know much about investing really at all. Like, how do you help them? 
Yeah, I mean, I would say that that's definitely true. There's this group of investors that are first timers that have basically been underserved by existing products. And we're definitely getting those people just because, you know, there's there's no other brokerage really that you can open an account with a few hundred dollars and learn to invest over time. Um, we're also getting a bunch of more experienced investors as well. And that's becoming more and more true um, as time goes on. And there's a little bit more history to the platform. So now, you know, we've been live for uh, for almost a year publicly. And our app dropped on the App Store initially in beta about a year ago. So I think there's a lot of people that when we first launched, wanted to kind of wait and see and make sure everything was working properly and the product was actually good. And those people over time are sort of starting to join Robinhood in, in increasing numbers. So at this point, 75% of our users are actually not first timers and have had some sort of prior brokerage account experience. Um, but, but to your question about education, one of the things that we pretty strongly believe in is that more experience is actually a, a much a much better way of educating than purely sort of like reading about stocks and investments uh, online or kind of in books. Um, I think what we allow is people to actually educate themselves and learn by doing with very small stakes. So you can open up an account with you know, $100 or $500, you can buy and sell stocks without being penalized uh, 7 to $10 every transaction. I think those things make learning much harder um, with legacy products. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think for us, the, we know there's a wealth of information out there. But what we found is difficult is actually removing the barriers to entry for people to get started. So you'll see a lot of people actually in our app store reviews that characterize Robinhood as an educational app because they're using it for uh, an educational use case. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you just mentioned that the product's basically been out on the market for for about a year now, you you launched the product. I remember when you launched the product, it it got a good bit of publicity. People were were really excited about it. Looking back on that this past year and that launch, now that you kind of have the benefit of hindsight, is there anything that you learned, anything you'd do differently taking that launch in this first year, doing it over again? That maybe somebody who's getting ready to to hit live on their app might might be able to take away and and benefit from. Yes. Yeah, so we first put the app on the App Store about a year ago. Uh, at that time, it was still sort of in beta. We had a wait list and, you know, it wasn't until March of this year that we actually removed the wait list and everyone who downloaded the app can just sign up right there. I think all in all, the launch this year went pretty well. We were pretty happy. It kind of exceeded all of our expectations. But what a lot of people don't realize is it took a lot. Um, it took a lot of work building up to this year for us to launch. So we first got the idea for building Robinhood back in 2012. So even even though you know we just announced it to the world. Um, couple years ago and launched publicly um, 
less than a year ago. It's been in the works for a while. And I, I definitely think sort of as our first time building a consumer company, there are a bunch of things that we learned throughout the process that, you know, if we had to do it again, would have been beneficial to not relearn. So one of those things, for example, is just the value of getting out there and talking to real users and kind of systematizing that. So that's something we definitely learned along the way uh, as first-time consumer product builders. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't obvious at the beginning, but now it's like very, very clear just how valuable it is because you can spend a lot of time iterating on things at the coding level and, you know, come up with something that if you talk to like five real users and without writing any code um, can realize that like there's no point in building it and it just won't work right away. So um, the value of kind of the whole user user research process in doing um, doing that type of discovery, uh, I think, was immensely valuable for us to learn and could have saved us a lot of a lot of grief had we known about that a little bit earlier. One of the challenges there uh, is sometimes if you're going to build a transformative or disruptive product like like you guys are building, there are times where you have to not listen to your users, right? Like if you if you listen to your users, they might pull you back in towards the status quo. How do you balance right. taking that user feedback versus pushing something new that maybe your your users need to get get up to speed on and, and use and find value in for a little while? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's an interesting question. I would say that we talk to a wide variety of users and, you know, stock trading is definitely a mainstream thing, but it's not quite as mainstream as like owning a car or, you know, back in the pre-Henry Ford days, uh, riding on a horse. So it's not like every single person does it. Um, so we talked to a bunch of different kinds of people from students to people that had traded stocks before to people that, you know, have been working their first or second job at a school and hadn't really started investing. And, um, basically the things that were common pieces of feedback from them, we were pretty sure that, um, you know, we, we had to listen to. And moreover, it's more about, um, I would say user research is more about figuring out what not to do than what to actually do. Like we weren't sitting down with users and like asking them what the interface should look like or what like, um, the feature set would be, but it was more like, all right, we have this prototype interface, you know, show me how you would place your first trade or show me how you would get the account funded, you know, and kind of seeing them go through that and explore it was extremely informative. Uh, and it wasn't so much, you know, talking to users and being like, okay, like which of these features would you expect from a new brokerage product? So for everybody listening at home, one of the best lines I think ever in this podcast was just said, which is user research, talking to users is not about learning what to do. It's about learning what not to do, to, to paraphrase, paraphrase Vlad here. I thought that was really profound and amazing, amazing advice. It's, it's too often we, we take feedback as, as kind of the, the, the Bible or the word and, and, and go and act on it versus 
using it to kind of shape our, our long-term vision. So that was super, super helpful. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that with us. Well, thanks. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, no, it was just, awesome. Uh, uh, I, I don't think I'd never. I don't think I'd really thought about that, and I don't think you actually read a lot about that. I think you read a lot about listening to your customers, uh, but people discount kind of qualification. Um, yeah, a lot of there are a lot of extreme viewpoints in this space, right? Some totally. people say you should never ever listen to customers, and other people say you should only listen to customers. I think probably that the truth is somewhere in between. Yeah, and that's and that's why I liked your your feedback there because it's about listening, but taking it with a with a real grain of salt and not letting it guide your direction, but guide your implementation. My my whole conversation with you, Vlad, is about you guys are very focused. You have some clear process and frameworks for how you think about things, and you're always looking for ways to get undue leverage in a situation, whether it be not charging people fees in your kind of your core model for for brokerage transactions or you know something as leveraging an engineer to stop a support ticket today so you don't have to hire a ton of support people long term. Uh, it's been a really, really amazing conversation. I really appreciate your time Come on, coming on The Grow Show, chatting with us, talking, us a li- talking to us a little bit about Robinhood and giving us some insight into what the work you guys have been doing. Really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Kip. Really, really had a fun, uh, fun time chatting. Thanks for listening to our show. As always, we would love to hear your feedback. Tell us what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. 